Gaming and BS episode 188 coming to you Wednesday, April 25th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad you're all here. Sean's been under the weather. You gonna you gonna be able to make it through, man? You think? I uh, I hope so. <laughs> well, we'll see how Sean does. <laughs> I induced vomiting on Saturday. Purposefully? Yeah. You you forced yourself to vomit? I did. Just to try to rid yourself of the poison, I assume. I was. Hmm. I think I did. That sounds I am not a lovely. Very, I'm not a very graceful vomit vomiter. Like, like if you were at a at, a, at, at a vomitorium, people would be like, "Hey, man, just just tell me back." Like a vomitorium's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was enough of that. So let's get into announcements. Um, I, I hang out at the vomitorium. <laughs> that's that's our booth at GameWalkon. That's what it's going to be called from now on. Oh, good Lord. All right, so GameholeCon, uh, submissions are open. I know they just had a newsletter go out not that long ago, which, and I've mentioned I've got my games in. Sean's still canoodling on what he's looking to throw out there. Um, Sean, have you made up your mind yet? Got any you ideas? You know what? I, I do. And what's going to happen is it's going to be November. And you'd be like, ah, next, yeah. I should totally you, do that thing. The next time you ask me that question, it's going to be November. And I will have three days to figure that crap out. You're the reason why why that group hates oh, <laughs> it's You're the reason why guys like me who run game conventions want to beat people who are supposed to submit events. Anyway. Well, last time I submitted events and never bought a badge. That's true. That's right. You did. Like, I didn't even know you could even do that. Apparently, well, I guess that's kind Apparently. of the deal, right? Because no, badges, badges aren't on sale now. You have to, you have, to have an account to Correct. submit an event. You don't They've have to buy do, Yeah. Yeah, you got to do the same thing for Evercon. Yeah, but you don't have to buy a badge. No. Not necessarily. <laughs> Which is a weird workflow. It is. It is an odd. Now you say it out loud, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Kind of broke. Oh, and speaking of conventions, Queen City Conquest, their Kickstarter is still rolling. That convention out in Buffalo, New York area. Uh, Phil uh, Vecchio and Chris Nizak, Bob, um, Old Man Logan, and that whole crew from Instructor Mark hit that thing. Uh, Tom from Knights of the Night is going to be there, and I and I think my family are looking to make a road trip out there to attend this year, which could be kind of fun. But we got to get that darn Kickstarter to go because that's how QCC funds themselves. So I'll have a link in the show notes. It's one of those things where if you can't make it, you know, it, it would be cool to help help a bunch of other gamers in the area get to the thing. If it's something you can do, great. If you throw them a dollar, anything would help. But, uh, yeah, Kickstarter's still going. Link in the show notes, as I say. Um, but if you get a chance to, and you can go, I've been there before, and it was a heck of a lot of fun. So perhaps I will see you there. That's in you're September. Gonna, you're gonna road trip it out there, huh? Yeah. Gonna see like you're gonna stop for the world's biggest ball of mud. Probably, yeah. Kids like that crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Blazinski family vacation. Yeah, Susan and I figure that every time we have an opportunity to take our small children long distances, it's a chance to test the strength of our marriage. And it's it's always come out on deck. It's actually, that's good. That's good. Both, both uh, well, I shouldn't say both, but all children we've ever traveled with have always made it back in one piece. Minimal bruising, so that's good. So, uh, yeah, should be a good time. Anyway, link in the show notes, Queen City Conquest. I do not beat my kids. I'm going to be like Walt Griswold. Yes, that's what I'm going to be like. We have zippity doodah coming out of our assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Big Ben Parliament. We're going to have so much fucking fun. They're going to have to have plastic surgery to remove the smiles from our faces. Where's the neighborhood? Is this daddy? Roll them up. Roll okay. Them up. <laughs> All right. Uh, you got anything else you want to add in there, Sean? No. Well, then let's random encounter this. Random puppy. encounter? Booyah. All right. You want me to start? Sure, man. I'll start. You sure? Are you sure? I don't want to like steal your thunder. 
I don't think there's any be, any thunder to be stolen. <laughs> any stolen. Okay, so Sky Slayton emailed us. said, hey, dudes, this morning, your opinions on a campaign where the goal is essentially to save what you can. Oh, the BBEG completed their plan. The world is getting on the, the high hard one, and now the party is trying to save as much as possible instead of trying to save the world. Obviously, you would need player buy-in on it. My thoughts are that it would be an interesting short prelude to a campaign, maybe three to four sessions, and everyone makes new PC for the 100 years later longer campaign. What are your thoughts? Hmm. Oh, he's got a PS in there, too. He had a couple. Um, he's thinking about our survey, the listener survey we did, and he threw a couple suggestions at us. Uh, many of your episodes cover things that can be avoided via a session one, so I propose a more structured timeline for the podcast. Probably not need to spell these out in a cast, though. Topic intro and definition, dealing with topics before a game slash campaign, a.k.a. Session Zero, dealing with topic during a game campaign, um, dealing with a topic during, if there is an issue, like a problem player, new mechanics idea. Um, he was saying it's maybe just his issue, but he often thinks, just cover this in Session Zero, and you're 90% head off on the issues um, before they even hit hit you. So he says he's enjoying the show. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Sky. I'll tell you what, Sean. What do you think about that About that idea of save what you can? You ever done anything like that? Uh, <laughs> no. But it sounds intriguing. The closest I've come is I've run a couple variations of a campaign that I call Behind Enemy Lines. <laughs> Excuse Ooh. me, where at some point the characters are usual, and I've done it in fantasy and a more modern setting where you're kind of loot to do to do doing your regular adventure and then something crazy ass happens and next thing you know you're behind enemy lines there's been a huge blitzkriegy type of thing and now you're stuck and it's scrabble save all the stuff you can to survive get back across to your your you know your, your friendly side of the line and then figure out what to do next so that's not saving bits and pieces of the world per se but just your world as opposed to the larger world and and uh it's interesting though sky i kind of like that hmm sounds that like mind. the world's on fire and you're trying to rush in and grab everything you can yeah i don't know um i mean maybe there's the the problem with that is maybe you're dealing with too much crap could be I mean, how, how much are you gonna throw at one party no, no, no. I, I, I don't know. I just think it's. I think it's kind of. It's a neat idea. It would need to be flushed out and all that, but it's a good concept. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, survey suggestion session zero can be avoided or uh, using session zero. Hell yeah! Like we'd have 188 episodes that if session zero is all ironed out, lock, stock, and barrel, man. Do what's what, interesting. What too. the hell? What the hell would we be doing here? <laughs> what the what the fuck is our point? So the fun part to me, and not fun, but the interesting 188, part. 188 episodes, an hour each. It's 188 approximate hours. That's how long you got to have session zero. <laughs> <laughs> session zero, part one. Well, we've talked about that. I mean, I've talked about my gaming group, right? I've been with most of these guys for over 20, 25 years. And still, we'll be halfway through something, and like, ah, oh, you know, I kind of, and like, what the fuck? I thought we covered this in our character build. How do you not remember this? Oh, my God. It happens constantly. And the things that everybody thought would be really cool in Session Zero, sometimes slowly but surely, they change or evolve during the gameplay. So it makes things a little bit different. So interesting, though. It is it is true that it, you should be able to cover quite a bit of stuff. And, uh, you know, a, a topic that that brings to mind is, like, how the hell do you reinforce, reinforce, uh, the session zero rules, guidelines, parameters, and and so on that you came up with constantly, right? So you actually build a build a culture at the table that's like, look, we agreed to that. Nope, wait, we already made that decision. We're not well, doing that. So here's something that that may sit outside the ninety percent that Sky is pointing out, and is probably not covered in session zero that I'm presently going through. And, and what's I, that, Sean? I mentioned this to Brett before the show, and that is I'm in a game group. Uh, we play every two weeks, and well, let me correct correction. My game group meets every week. I meet with them every two weeks. Between the two weeks or every other week, one is one campaign, one is the other. And when somehow I got 
off the every every week schedule. I think I've mentioned this before, but my buddy Jimmy is going to play Star Trek Adventures. My my Modifius, he's a big Star Trek guy. So we all started that, got some tunes together. We started playing that. Great. We're going going through the rules, learning a new game. The alternating week, um, one Crystal was running Storm King's Thunder. So I think she got a, had another obligation. So somebody would have we would have to fill that slot. Okay. Jimmy's kind of on the fence with Star Trek, saying, "Hey, is this going well? Is everybody jiving with the game? You know, enjoying it, whatever." And so the last word, which was two weeks ago, as of this recording, um, was like, "Hey, we're going to keep doing Star Trek, and then we're going to figure out what to do on Crystal's night." So a week later get an email that says, hey, we're shit-canning Star Trek. Oh, what's that now? So shit-canning Star Trek, and that we're going to do, my buddy Doc is going to run Adventurers League during during the Star Trek rotation. So my week that I usually play with those guys is going to D&D Adventurers League. The other week is going to Starfinder. My buddy Jimmy's going to run Starfinder. How interested are you in those things, Sean? So both of those I'm not overly interested in, and I, I kind of let those guys know. I, I put them on ice for about a week, and I apologize to those guys, but you know, I'm, I was trying to kind of mull it in my head, mull it over in my head and go, is this, you know, what do I want to do here? Um, do I just want to bail altogether? Well, I don't know, because I enjoy playing with those guys, right? Yeah. Um, and I've been doing it for a while, and, and so... I wrote him back and said, okay, well, I'm up for Starfinder. I'll, you know, give it a go. I want to open the eyes a little bit. Uh, don't close it off before I try it. So we'll see how that goes. But that's not session zero, man. I mean, unless you cover like, hey, how is this campaign going to end? This is how we're going to do it. We're going to put in a two-week notice before ending a campaign, ending a game or something like that, right? No one is allowed to end any campaign without two weeks written notice. Ratified. Right? Yes. Unless, of course, it, I mean, seriously, though, if you adapted a lot of this shit into Session Zero, sure, you would nip a lot of things in the bud, but, man, you're looking at, like, a contract. Yeah, it, it's, it, I mean, we talked about social contract and those types of things in a Session Zero piece, but what you're trying to cover usually, based on my, what I think is both our understanding, is the big stuff. Like, hey, it's a fantasy game. Hey, right. these are the limitations on races. Hey, um, while we hop from planet to planet in this, you know, Star Trek game, we're going to do this type of thing. You're an away team. That's the premise, okay? If you don't want to be in an away team, this is not the game for you. And blah 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 blah. Yeah. Those other things that come up during the game, <coughs> or you know, where the game master, you're running the game, and she's like, you know what? I think it'd be really cool to deal with, um, you know, living gear as we did back in a couple episodes. Like, hey, what about horses? And hey, how about this stuff for? How about some kind of a damaging weapon, damaging equipment, so on? I like to try something different in the middle of this campaign. Your session zero, unless you have a proviso in there that says any new rule implemented will be first ratified. But you know, I'm tongue in cheek there. But yeah, some of that stuff just it comes up and in the heat of the moment during the middle of the campaign, and you don't have an opportunity to cover all of those possibilities during a session zero hmm now in all fairness to jimmy since he's the game master if a game master doesn't want to run the game anymore i mean that's kind of a done deal no he just he's it's too bad the players the players have spoken you will finish the campaign sir (laughs) (laughs) sit your ass down yeah but it's gonna totally suck man if the game master's not into it right like yeah but we came to play star trek sit down jimmy we're playing star trek (laughs) i don't want to run star trek (laughs) sorry jimmy we play Star Trek. We all know how Brett would handle that. Hit <laughs> him with a bottle of whiskey. Damn it, Jimmy. Play. Yeah. So, but just an example of of what we all encounter that would never be able to be covered in like a session zero. Or, I mean, it could be. Definitely. That's not something you'd have thought of. These are guys no. we've been playing with for years. We're like, oh, yeah, by the way, when one of us decides that they're sick of running this thing, how do we handle that? Interesting. Right. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. Thank you, Sky. Yeah, thanks, guy. Christopher Gray emails us. Brett, 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 Uh-oh. what are you doing to the bright young gamers of tomorrow? I'm crushing their hopes and their dreams, Christopher. 
Why are you smashing the hopes and dreams of some young person who innocently assumed he'd be able to lose an arrow into a bad guy's face? Because he's wrong, Christopher. Why are you burying the creative genius in eager young minds? Well, since you put it that way, I feel kind of bad now. Structuring them with rules and limitations. You got me there. What's next? No, Susie, you can't be an astronaut. No, Billy, you can't drive emergency vehicles for the fire department. Well, if I'm playing in um, D&D, no, you can't. That doesn't make any sense. If you're talking about real life, of course Susie can be an astronaut if she wants to. Just better work hard and do that. I say embrace those youngsters and their ideas. Allow them the one chance, the single opportunity, to witness an arrow schlocking someone's eyes so they can have the gratification of the blood, pus, and agonized screams. This is Dungeons and Dragons, man. Not Little League Softball. That's right. Why this, not? Is far more, this is far more serious than Little League Softball. Little League <laughs> Softball comes and goes. D&D is for life. Carry on. Why not tell them to take a round to aim, and if the roll goes well on the next round, thwop. Guy's blind in one eye, screaming and crying. He's stunned for a round and gets a disadvantage after every round following. And if it's a crit... That guy took an arrow to the brain. Thump. He's gone. Congratulations, Billy. You could be a fireman and an expert marksman. <laughs> I expected more from you, Brett. Now the next time you the next time the bright eyes of a younger gamer looks at you with hope and wonder and asks, Can I shoot my crossbow into that guy's throat? You say, Yes, Billy. Yes. Yes, you can. Well, to quote Sean, I'd have to say, well, that's not Dungeons & Dragons. i got to play a different game with these kids, Sean. So, Sean, if if you were doing what game would you do? What game would you run to allow these kids to do this crazy shit? Well, kind of torn, Brett. (laughs) Because, one, I don't have kids. And, frankly, you know, sometimes that kind of helicopter parent, you know, (laughs) you could do whatever you want in life. Sometimes it's there's a difference between encouragement and just saying, "Hey, suck it up, buddy. You're not going to go to the moon." So, but but at the same time, we're not talking real life here. That's true. Very true. You know. So you, Christopher you, raises good points. He raises good points, <laughs> and um, I assume he's being a little tongue in cheek with me, and he's not really. I mean, he did hit me down a little bit there. So I don't. I don't know, man. So you think he's being I was hard? I was a little shocked when during the episode when you brought it up and you were like, no, no, I can't do that. And I'm like, well, all right, So man. Um, I don't know how many people out there have run for a pack of little boys. Oh, here we go. Part of the, part of the fun of dealing with them, at least the ones I've run with, is if you gauge the mood in the room, it goes from shooting him in the eye, shooting him in the <laughs> butt. I want to get it. You always got to shoot him wanna, in the butt. I want to shoot him in the left toe. It gets crazier and goofier. Now, granted, that can be fun if that's what they're after, if you really want to get kind of wacky, wacky. Um, my general take on it is that what I try to do is try to give them other places to be creative. <clears throat> the one kid who was playing the barbarian, he was playing a pre-generated barbarian character. I didn't even notice that he had drums. He was proficient in drums. So I had this pre-gen. He had drums on him. He's like, can I play these? Like, try to inspire the group? Kid's never played like a bard. He has no idea what inspiration is. I said, yes, right. you can. He said, okay. He's over to boogie to boogie to boogie to bump to bump bump bump. So what does that do? I reached over and I grabbed a stack of poker chips, gave each character, each player a poker chip. What's that? That's a hero chip. You can do almost anything you want with that. They said, really? I said, yeah. <clears throat> Some kid, go, next kid get it, goes, I want to hit him and do like triple damage. Done. I take the chip away. Really? Yeah. Bam. Oh my God. I did triple damage. Oh wow. Automatic hit. And the other kid's like, can, can I polymorph into something? What do you want to be? A giant? You betcha. I took his fig off. Bam. Put down my stone giant. Take his chip. So we got crazy later on. So creativity did happen. It just wasn't at that moment. But Christopher, your point is well taken. And if nothing else, the judicious use of the rules. Um, saying, yeah, I'll give you disadvantage on the shot to try to shoot him in the eye. And if you hit him, you will do double damage or something along those lines. You can make it so that it's not crazy. Then you can have a critical hit. Hit him right through the brain. Gore, brain, skull, pieces fly everywhere, and the giant's dead or whatever the case is. So that's, I mean, that, that's a good admonishment, Christopher, and I will take it as such. 
Um, there's no reason not to allow some of that extra creativity to happen, especially when you're in a one-shot for crying out loud and they are kids. Um, I do know my son's friends, <laughs> and I also know how wacky they get, and I wanted to try to keep the wackiness to a level of control. Was that initially the right place for time to do it? Eh, debatable. But, as I say, Christopher, point taken. I'll do better next time. Even Brett can learn. I, I don't learn easily or well, but, yeah, I can. Well, Old dog, new tricks, you know the deal. True, true. Well, I'm glad this is mostly Sean's show from here on out so I can ponder oh, my mistakes. shit balls. Let's go on. All righty then. topic. So here's the deal. We talked All about right. this last time. We wanted yeah. to dive into the minds of Sean and Brett and say, hey, how the hell do these guys go about building an encounter through 188 episodes of what could be all session zero discussion or could be various different pieces of it love you sky just give me a little shit there brother uh but the, the point is is that when we're looking at this stuff everybody comes out comes at how they design or build something differently and i can say yeah what you have to do in a case like this what i would do is do x y and z and that may seem like Magic, insanity, weirdness. How the hell does this person do that? I've had other people who are game masters. Um, a woman I know, Kat, she runs um, some crazy-ass Amber Diceless games. And we were talking about gaming one time when she and her husband were over hanging out with my wife and I, and she was explaining stuff. I'm like, I have no idea how the hell you did that. But just, I, I never would have even thought about some of the different plot hooks and twists and things that she was pulling out, but she's amazing at it. And it's the it's her process of how she got from point A to come up with that cool idea and move on. And Sean's laid out some things that he's done too. So we're gonna do my best to shut the hell up. And Sean, you're gonna walk us through how you build an encounter. Oh shit! And I'm gonna just sit back here and make fun of you. You ready? No. <laughs> God, I've been mulling this over for like a week, man. It's been driving me crazy. Has it? Well, because I, I mean. I got to say, man, a lot of my shit that I do is usually a module or some pre predisposed adventure. So that's still, when you talk about building an encounter or designing something, that's a ver- it's a version of prep, right? How do yeah. I prepare myself to do this thing? So even if you look at it, you say 90% of it is a, you, know, you want to take D&D or anything you want to do, and how do you go about building it? Do you run it exactly as written? Or when you read it, do you take notes and think about options and so on? So again, Sean, you're the, you're the Kelly. We're gonna start. We're gonna start there and see what happens. This is where I start getting imposter syndrome and like all this. <laughs> I don't think I can do just, this. I don't think I can do this. All this is a goddamn charade. No, it's not. Um, man. I mean, I, I have run. You have run games for me, and they have been they have been very good. I've had a lot of fun in all of them. Yeah. So clearly, you know how to build yourself an encounter. You know how to work an encounter so that it happens. So. Maybe you think about it and how you prep and set it up, and right. then what happens when it actually hits the table and players like me do crazy ass shit and sit and sit in the spaceship and shoot the ship's guns at people. Well, I hope I hope you're not going to be quiet though. The rest of this topic that would be that would be crazy. I'm going to go on mute now. Go. Oh Jesus Christ, this guy! All right. So step one. Here's here's what I would say step one is putting forward is that you create a problem for the players. As Brett frantically types something, I have no idea. Making notes about how to do this right. I'm taking notes. <laughs> Sean's laying this out for me. I gotta I gotta get better, man. Go. Next week he's gonna have a stellar approach to this because Finding every flaw he's got so I can counter yeah. Well, yeah. I was going to do it better than Sean. I do this. Anyway. There's one aspect I completely disagree with. I, but I think that's with any any encounter is going to be, if as long as you're a game master and you can put forth a problem of some, some kind. Now, whatever that problem is. So if it's a, I guess what I was trying to mull over, and I didn't know how Brett wanted me to frame this. I didn't know if he wanted to come have me come to the table with okay. Here's an encounter, and this is how I designed it. Let me see if or, I can find. Let me see if I can find the text. Sean, do you need any help with those notes? No, man, I got it. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yes. So 
I didn't anticipate that's what you were talking about. I thought you were talking about like, hey man, I'm at a tournament. Can I you know. do the can you do the notes? And I'm like, yeah, I'll just put the outline and call it a day. So no, this is not pointing a finger at Brett by any means. I can take it. All right, but no. So going into this, if it's you know if you're planning an adventure and you're going to have three to four encounters, I think it's pretty straightforward. You could sit and sit yourself down and say, all right, I want one social encounter. I want one combat encounter. I want one that could go either way. And then I want one that is, you know, maybe a combat encounter in space or one is a melee, right? However you want to define that. Now, keep in mind when you're designing the encounter that it may not go the way you anticipate. So just because you say, I'm going to deem this kind of a combat encounter doesn't mean that the party will take that that path, right? They may go into it and go, all right, man, we're, we're going to talky talk ourselves out of this thing. So most of the times you're going to paint the scene as the game master, whatever that looks like. I think I saw um, Dungeon Bastard put out something like, give them three elements of the scene because anymore they'll forget. Yes, and, yeah, I did. I did see that from, I think there was a tweet he right. put out. Yeah, it was a tweet. And, you know, so three characteristics start very high level, then go to more specifics because any more the characters will lose or not pay attention to. Right. Okay. Which is actually pretty solid, good advice. So having said that, um, I was also wondering like the genre we wanted to talk about, but I guess it could be anything at this point. I mean, well, if you're running mostly pre-published stuff. Right. Um, let's pick let's pick D and D just for a kick. Or if you want to do Star Wars, because I know you let's do you Star Wars. Let's do we Star Wars. Talk about D and D. Yeah, do Star Wars, man. Well, let's do modern. Let's espionage. Okay, cool. Do All it. Right. Yeah. So espionage. We'll take espionage genre. We will take and we'll set the game in more of James Bond. So a little bit more high action. It's not Cold War, right? So it's gadgets, crazy stunts, uh, fast cars casinos, whatever, high action. So whatever the encounter is that you're you're proposing, say you're sending the characters to a particular location and there's some type of briefing. So the characters have some motivation to be there. They have some motivation to go there. Um, I'll give you an example. I ran one adventure at a con where the characters are at a a kind of a outpost and they're there guarding something that was obtained by their side, the good forces, right? They obtained it. It's possible that the bad guys want it back. So starts out in media, kind of in media as, you know, they're walking around the post as you're guarding things, all hell breaks loose. Me as game master paints the scene you hear gunfire in one particular area of the complex. Lights happen to go dim in one particular area. Where is everybody located? Okay. Getting location, blah, blah, blah. Now, this one is obviously going to be more combat-y. So it's going to be, okay, I'm going to move over here. What do I see? What do I hear? There's gunfire. You see the um, the flash from the flash compressors. Gunfires coming at you. We hear bullets ricocheting, what have you. Pretty straightforward. Roll for initiative. It's it's coming down to let's shoot it out, right? We'll tell you what you just said right there. With, with when you a tool you have to help make that encounter. Right? When you say roll for initiative, right? You want this to be a combat encounter. Now, granted, in the middle of the initiative, they could try to transform it into a social encounter through different skills or something like that. Right. Well, when people roll for initiative, that's the that's the universal gamer sign. Click, engage tactical brain, you know, time yep. to go. Absolutely. So roll for initiative, combat goes off. Now, as things progress, right, there's going to be obstacles that are going to be put into place. So you are going to, okay, as part of your quote-unquote encounter design, you are going to put resources in front of the players. You're going to put maybe resources in front of the bad guys. You're going to put obstacles in front of each one of them and how they tackle those. So in this particular instance, there could be physical obstacles. Maybe there's the oil barrels or the, the fuel barrels, right? Of course, those are always going to explode if they're hit with gunfire. You know, there's going to be uh, a couple of Jeeps, maybe a deuce and a half, 
big trucks, one big truck, a couple of Jeeps, right? So those can be used to pursue the bad guys, uh, or the bad guys can use them to get away and subsequently allow the players to jump in one and pursue the bad guys, right? Keep going. Um, so they make their way in. As they make their way in, there's maybe some checks. Obviously, people are taking gunfire. Obstacles are obviously also producing cover. Are you thinking about the types of checks that you want to enforce during that type of encounter when you're thinking about that? So I think there is two ways to run an encounter. There's okay. there's the very, okay, I'm going to write this out. Okay, so if people are behind this, they're going to get plus four cover. You know, they're going to... Um, when you say yeah. write it out, just a quick insert here. When you say write, you literally mean type it out, handwrite it out like this. Yeah. Okay. Make notes. Yeah. About if somebody it. Okay. shoots these barrels. This is what's going to happen. It's going to explode and it's going to inflict sixty-six points of damage in a radius of fifteen to thirty feet. Gotcha. And then okay. Right. It expands out. Or you just run it ad hoc and say. I know it's going to explode. I'm going to make those explode. I'm going to have those obstacles. If anybody's behind the obstacle in this particular rule set, it always gives them a plus four. If they're in full cover. Or maybe there's a cement wall that was only waist high that they can hunker down behind. Or maybe there's sandbags there that they can hunker behind. But it only gives them half cover, only giving them a plus two according to the rules. So some of those things can just come along as part of the rule set. Right. I'm going to hide behind the Jeep. Okay, well, I'm going to fire 50 caliber machine gun through that Jeep. So even if you don't want to do the full write-up of blah, 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 you just know for a fact it's, an, it's, a, it's a fuel barrel, and I know the rules for hiding. So it's stuff out there. People can hide behind it. They can do this, that, or the other thing. Just putting the, the playset pieces out there, people will invoke the rules as necessary as they encounter them. Yes. Which can lead to some of the wackiness that we talked about earlier when... Hey, it turns into a fiery ball of death. I didn't expect there to be a fiery ball of death in here. Yeah, or you shoot, you know, and maybe it's dependent upon the rolls. You shoot the gasoline barrels, and maybe you as a game master decide, well, that's really stupid because if you shoot a barrel, it doesn't mean they all blow up, right? So maybe you shoot a hole in the barrel, and it leaks the gasoline. And that kind of trickles down in a particular path, and eventually somehow it's lit. So then it trickles to that, like the fuel in Indiana Jones yeah, going to their airplane. To airplane. Right. So this is... So there's a timing issue with that. So I think you and I are actually pretty similar in this, in that you, you're not writing out on a piece of paper or in your notes, like, if if shot, the oil will cause a spill and it will leak directly over to... Is that something you just decide on the fly based on you, the action, what's going on? Yeah, I would call it on the fly. You could write this down as a just a note, you know, hey, keep in mind, oil barrels or fuel barrels, you know, fuel pump, whatever, something that fuels up the vehicles in the area, that's there. So we use, this is there. We use the Indiana Jones example. Do you have those type of things in your head when you set up an encounter and you see something and then do you <laughs> – this is preview mm-hmm. to how Brett's game, brain works, but – and I've talked to other game masters who have this too, where they have like these key scenes or cool things in their head, like, oh, it's that time, right, when we nerds are walking on the street, we see something, oh my god, this is straight out of this movie. Is it kind of your auto nerd troping just kicks in when you say, hey, I put this stuff out there, people start shooting through it, and you're like, you know what, I need to ratchet the action up so gasoline leaks over to the fire. Is that, do you have that stuff in your head, or do you take notes and say, hey, remember this scene, or I want it to look like this? So I think whenever I portray a particular encounter, I know in my head what it looks like. I know what the environment looks like. So if it's Star Wars or D&D or espionage, I know what is going to be in front of the player characters, at least in an initiative understanding of what that looks like. So when somebody talks to me and says, okay, it's a military outpost, it's got maybe a couple buildings, I envision what a military outpost looks like. Maybe there's there's a it's a fenced area. There's probably a main gate. At the corners of those, there's probably lookout posts that are, you know, 20 feet in the air, 25 feet up in the air. There's probably good amount of lighting everywhere. Probably make note of where those lights would be. 
tactically. And then where the guards might be making a rotation or covering the grounds. Maybe there's a spotlight that's kind of floating around the outside of the perimeter. So you're, you kick, you're keying in on specific words, terms, phrases that say military outpost. Sean's brain goes, click. I know what that looks like. Yeah. And that's from, one, personal experience. You've been right. on military outposts. And two, it's a thing you're into, so it's stuff you're well aware of. Sure. Especially when it comes to espionage. If I said, hey, it's in a, you know, if it's a Cold War espionage thing, you have more insight into that than I do because of that's something you're more interested in than I am. So you have those components, which as a game master, that research, either purposeful or just because it's cool to you, is in your head, right? right. You, you've got that yeah. research in there. So you're drawing on that as you go through. Okay, I get it. Yeah, and I think that is huge with a game master. There are some people that can do it really well, and there's some people that struggle with that kind of vision and imagination. And it may take a little bit to develop that. And it's not, sometimes it's just timing. Like you'll get into something and you're like, man, I have no idea how this is going to look or how it's going to be played out. And, you know, a dungeon may just be a dungeon, right? So, once you get it into your brain and you describe some of the environment, you can come up with the feel and the action of what's going on. And then you can start throwing things at the players that may go in their direction favorably or may not go in their direction favorably. So an example in this case is maybe the bad guys get in there, they get the the red herring or whatever it is that they're supposed to be guarding. Mm-hmm. And they're going to they're gonna take off with it in a Jeep. Well, then it's a matter of, well, does their Jeep start? Does it not start? Are the tires flat, not flat? I mean, those are kind of judgment calls because... But that's stuff in your head. Like, if yeah. I need this to be more interesting in one way or the other, I'll flatten the tire or I'll make them make a mechanics check because it doesn't start and they got to pop the hood and connect the battery or something. Yeah, I guess it depends on how much you want to fiat that, right? If it's a GM fiat and you want the bad guys to get away, it may be very simple where they jump in the Jeep and it doesn't start because it's the one on jacks. So even if you don't do it from a GM fiat, like I I need to make X happen, therefore this thing happens to you, do you ever do it just from the, this this would be really interesting if this happened, I want to see what they do with it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it may just come down to... Well, let's see. It's a con game. I've got four hours. This should take about an hour. Uh, so far, they're five minutes into it. I could probably drag it out a little bit. Let's make it. Ch- let's put a chase into this. Right. So now it goes into a chase. You could feasibly say, okay, the combat encounter is completely done at this point, as it is relates to melee and and gunfire going back and forth. Now it's a car chase. Now you're dealing with. Okay, what's the distance? What's the speed? Who's got the drive skill? What does that mean? Uh, how how are you going to measure success or failure in this particular encounter? Right? Then it's also what obstacles are you going to throw in front of the players mm-hmm. as this takes place? So it's dark. You know, as gunfire comes back, good rolls are made by the bad guys. They shoot out the headlights of the good guys. Now they're driving without headlights on, chasing the bad guys down probably a tank trail of some kind, which is not relatively concrete or well-paved. Maybe it is. See, last I checked, tanks don't really need roads or pavement. No, <laughs> they it's kind usually... Of, they kind of just flatten shit. Yeah, it's usually tank trails uh, in, in exercise areas and things of that nature, and it gets really dusty. So you you're also, because of your interest in that and so on, the other the research you've done, either through personal experience or because of stuff you're interested in, those notes are just naturally in your head, right? You've done this for years, like I have. Yeah. Well, you've game mastered for a long time, so that, that note is in your head. If the players are going down and they fail a check, because the guy physically ran down the, the tank trail, right? And he fails a tracking check where you could be like, well, it's incredibly dusty because the tanks have been going through, everything's constantly covered, and it's really hard to see. So you have reasons and environmental issues, components, and pieces that you can throw at them because of all that research you've done that's in your head. You don't – I'm putting this in your mouth, but what I'm hearing you say is you don't write all that down like 
trail tank trail is dusty minus 50 perception checks or something like that you don't make that note no okay no it's it's just something that i may envision occurring if i come up with it at that moment otherwise it's going to be something i might need to take a note about uh to insert it but things progress eventually what's going to happen is either the bad guys are going to get away or the good guys will overcome them and capture them okay I mean, that's really the end result. How that happens de- depends on some of the die rolls. It depends on how some of those obstacles are overcome. Um, you know, if the good guys, or the party in this case, has some good shooty-shooty rolls, okay. and they disable the vehicle, vehicle creens out of control, goes off into the ditch, maybe flips over, maybe it doesn't. The bad guys are wounded. You know, maybe it's there that they want to capture one alive. Okay, one's wounded, he's dying, he's bleeding out. Maybe then it's one of the folks that are going to administer first aid to that person. And that's not so necessarily that point, something you plan. Like, hey, if they choose to no. capture a guy, this is based on the actions. This is how I'm hearing you tell me that you have like a plot, the encounter is from start to finish and whatever. The end, if Flatfield Sunny Day, it would go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. If they come through and go one, two, seven, hey, guess what? They just went one, two, seven. And that you just roll with it and adjust on the fly. Yeah, so the the future of the adventure does not necessarily have to be dependent upon the outcome of, of what just happened. So if they Got capture okay. the bad okay. guys, right? If they capture the bad guys, it could be a James Bond intro where it's like they capture the bad guys, cue the opening theme of the movie. And now they get called to do something else. Okay. They, fin- they finish that up. They foiled the bad guy's plot. Or they the bad guys get away with the MacGuffin and then cue the theme. So now the good guys have to figure out a way to recover it again. So there's not, there's not a train track to be found here, is there? It's pretty wide open, man. Right. Hey, man. <laughs> I talk a lot of shit during this podcast. Sometimes my, you know, it doesn't matter. But most of the times when I'm, when I'm, even when I'm reading an adventure, I'll get the highlights and the overview of what's to take place. And sometimes the rules will come into play. And sometimes I poo poo the rules because they're just a pain in the ass to kind of sit down and go, okay, if this happens, then this is a plus one. And then if this happens, it's plus five. Um, And don't forget if this happens. And it's like, you just have to kind of, Get that shit out of the way if it's distracting. If you can grok it and it makes sense, then go for it. The Star Wars game that we had had a a race. Yes. And I'm like, how am I going to read the race rules when it has to do with Cloud City pod cars? I actually thought it went pretty well. I assumed, quite frankly, because I had not read any race rules. I'd barely read the rules to begin with. But I, the way you ran it, I assumed that we were following chase rules of some. I assumed that these were rules that were written down. We were following because it felt really smooth to me. Because that's how goddamn good I am. Oh, people. Wow, huh? Nice. But seriously, I think as long as you're consistent with your approach, right? If you're even gonna wing a freaking rule call, when it has, to, especially racing, like how do you? Unless there's rules for racing in your RPG. You kind of got to come up with something that makes sense. So it's driving checks. It's going to be maybe modifying the vehicle. It could be modifying it beforehand. It could be modifying it during the race. So like if you had read Night's Black Agents and we were playing that, yeah. and they have thriller chase mechanics, and you were totally down with those, and you knew, hey, we're going to have, yeah, there could be a car chase at some point because you're envisioning the scene Right, and there could well be a car chase. You bone up on those mechanics, and what happens? Boom! Thriller mechanic rules come out because you know what they are. Right. However, we throw you a curveball, and you're like, ah, I don't remember. I could either take the time and say, all right, let's stop everybody and let's follow these mechanic rules, or in the moment you could say, here, make two drive checks, three drive checks. If you get six successes, then the next you win or whatever. So. Because the players are throwing you a curve, and you're like, "Oh fuck! I didn't even know we'd have a car chase tonight." I guess we're car chasing. I didn't read those right. rules. Let's we got to do something. Okay. Yeah. Yep, that would be one scenario that would come up where you kind of got to roll with the flow. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't pay to just stop and go. Shit! It's car chase time. I don't know any of the car chase rules. 
we're going to stop. I mean, you could. Maybe it's a good spot in the game to stop for the night. Or take a, or say, take that 10-minute break. You guys go and smoke. I'm just, where are the thriller chase mechanics? You know, That's very possible, too. Yeah, take 10-minute break, smoke them if you got them, and then by the time you come back, I'll get the lowdown on this, and we'll have things to outline. I mean, at one point in time, Spycraft 2.0 had cards, like a deck of cards based mm-hmm. on a chase, and you would flip the cards, and depending upon the cards that would come up, Determine what would happen and what occurred and what you would need to overcome the check and things of that nature, which sounds pretty cool. Um, I'd have to look at them again, but, you know, that's another another component, like a little micromanaged game that you got to figure out and futz with. So when you build the scene, yeah, uh, the encounter itself for your espionage game, are you thinking of this is a scene that is designed, this encounter... This, hey, roll for initiative, this happens, gunfire, you know, and then you're like, hey, this reminds me of the Indiana Jones thing, the oil leaks, there's a plane explodes, this happens, there's a, there's a chase now, and so on. Does that encounter then always for you, or naturally, or do you just shoehorn it into the next encounter, right? So if there's, if you're reading a published adventure, like you go from room one to room two to room three to room four, after that encounter is over, the night session of four plus hours, whatever is done, do you? Ex- <clears throat> I guess is this where your railroad comes in? Ha ha ha! Where you, no matter what happens there, the next thing is the next thing, or does that activity? I'm trying to remember what you just said. Does that activity and that encounter influence what comes next for you? Like, hey, then I got to rethink what what could come next because I thought about four encounters potentially happening, and then they just blew it all up after encounter two. Well, there's usually a a scene that is going to be that is that will present itself regardless of how an encounter turns out. Okay. Not all not always, but typically you gotta have a kind of a I mean you don't have to. You could make it completely seat of your pants, but it depends on what kind of direction you want the party to go to. And if it's if it's something where it's a very mission oriented espionage game you're going to have to give them the mission briefing on on taking over something now that is kind of the premise how the players do that especially in like Shadowrun espionage games um even D&D to some extent if you're if you're kind of putting the players on a mission based here's the problem you present the problem and you allow the players to come up with the solution you kind of got to go with the flow yes absolutely Right? But if you said, here's the problem, man, what you're supposed to do is get in through the air ducts, go over here, steal a gem, and get back out. Yeah, that's rarely what I come up with. Okay. Yeah, I don't usually map it out where that's the way it's got to be, contrary to my my, yeah. rep- my reputation. <laughs> so you are, when you come up with these encounters, your thought is, this is, gonna, this is a cool encounter. Knowledge will be gained, perhaps, or a fight will break out. They'll some, you know, something will occur, but it's a problem to be solved by the players. You do not have a preconceived. Hey, if they turn the Rubik's cube three times left and one time up, one time back, they've solved it. You don't have that. No, in in some instances, I do not. However, there would maybe be one instance where that does come into play. So maybe in the same adventure down the road, they actually infiltrate big bad evil person's lair and in that lair they come to a door that's obviously locked you know and it's got some super duper wacky security control system on it how do the player characters get around that thing so that's like in your pre-published module where it has it's a set piece thing like the only way or only ways to get past it are Going through the control room, right? Disable the control, you know, the controls in the control room that's located on the third level, you know, room 5A. They can go in there and they divulge the fact that, I mean, it's kind of like Star Wars, right? And they're in the Death Star and they can navigate to the prison cell and then they can control the, uh, they've got to disable the tractor beams so they can get the hell yep. off the place. Are these right? notes you make for your, like literally write the notes down or is this just stuff that you look at it ahead of the night and you're like, Hey, this is what, Oh, they got to come up to the door. I mean, if you're, if it's pre-published, it's written down how you get past the door. Yeah. But if it's, do you make 
do you write that stuff down or do you because what happens when I come up with not what I answer the first question I'll ask you the next one <laughs> sorry I'm going to blah going off on you, you so it it if it is a specific kind of puzzle because some of those become puzzles yes okay good point right. you gotta you gotta do this to do that that to do this so if you're gonna do that I think it is probably in your best interest to write that down. It doesn't have to be. I mean, everything can be very ad hoc. It depends on how kind of how forceful you want to be as a game master to enforce a particular situation. And what I an example would be you come to the door, you think it's the the first of all, you got to come to a door that you know is probably the place you're supposed to go or you're supposed to be. Maybe you've learned that from schematics. Maybe you've learned that because you have an inside person that has met with you and they're going to show you the way into the place and they haven't died yet and they finally got you to the place or they've conveyed it to you and you're finally come to the conclusion, like, this is the control room we need to get into. So once you're there, the game master, you're either going to say, well, they're going to either need to come up with a kick-ass disabled device check of some kind or they're going to have to come up with some creative solution to get around this this door or this blockade. So somebody so some now as a game master people have to understand that you most of the times it's your responsibility as the game master to put the problem in front of them. How they get around that is up to the players. Like hey man but at the same time, so there is a balance there. Well, I know some people are like, say. if you write, if you give a problem and you don't design it with an answer, well, I, yes, you know, that's the key. some some people need to do that, and it's not. I don't think that's wrong, bad fun. It just, I think what you're describing is very similar to what I do. Is that I say, hey, here's a problem, and I've had players afterwards say, how how will we get out of that? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Uh, it was up to right. you. You got a big three foot fucking door in front of you. What do you do? <laughs> what the, what what do I see? Well, there's a control panel. There's like this weird blinking lights and this weird kind of panel off to the right-hand side. All right, I go over there. What's it look like? Well, there's a freaking thing that's got this weird kind of cup on it, like a ha- little cup, and it's got a little freaking light beaming out of it, and then there's a little bunch of keys to it. So you might oh, actually make notes. It's a retina scan. Yeah, you might, uh. you might make notes to say, hey, this door has a retina scan and a keypad. And you, you might either mental or something, and then if the players come up with a better way, great. But at least that way you've got a starting point for how to bypass it. Sure. You then they dev- okay. Give me a check, or you just give it to them. It obviously looks like you've seen this device once before in popular mechanics. It looks like this latest and greatest retina scan freaking technology. Well, isn't that wonderful? Now what do you do? Right yeah. now, what are you going to do? You know that that's the key. All right, I'm going to go back and find a bad guy and freaking pluck his eyeball out of his skull. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll totally demolition man this guy. Yeah, right, okay. Out, I'll give it a shot, and then, you know, is it a two-factor? Maybe it's their handprint and their retina scan or some key code, retina scan and a key pass. Got it. You know, or it's, you know, you get to the right control room and there's an all-access panel somewhere and you can figure it out and you do a couple checks. So then you're getting in, well, I assist, right? So then you're like, now, one thing we haven't gotten into is how do you design something like an encounter where multiple people can shine within a particular encounter or an adventure? Yeah, now, I think that's, honestly, I think that's kind of the, the next phase of this. We do, we talk this piece first and then like, right. what do we do taking what we know and how, how you do it. And I think what you do is actually very similar to what I do. We'll learn more next week, but, and then say, okay, now how would we make sure that a group of four people have an opportunity in this encounter to all have fun? What, how do we do that? Because it's one right. thing to say, Hey, here's a, here's a room as you described. I mean, that that's really cool. If I say, Hey Sean, I need an encounter in a military base. You'd be like, all right, dude, bam, you, I could get 20 bullet points out of you of shit. That's on a military base that, players may or may not run into right right but then how would we make five different characters shine and that's where some of the other prep comes in but interesting well and not even necessarily prep as much as okay the fighter person maybe it's the shooty shooty person in this instance is sitting there not knowing what to do while gadget freak tries to 
figure out how to disable the door, right? Well, guess what? Got to give them something to do. Ninjas, well, ninjas kicking the door. Freaking ninjas coming down the hallways, dude. Okay, I got a. I'm gonna set up a freaking barricade, and I'm gonna start, you know, shoving down cover fire down the hallway to make sure that ninja dudes don't come down here and screw with the the person who's trying to disable the device. Perfect. Okay, now you got two people engaged. What are you doing? Well, I'm gonna help disable the device. Okay, great. What are you gonna do? Well, I'm gonna help fend off ninja dudes. All right, super awesome. So let me ask you this. I think kind of at the tail end of this piece here, how what did you do to make it so that you can do it this easily? Right? Because I've gamed with you, and you roll with that shit pretty easy. So is this just years and years of practice? Is it certain reading, research, things you do? Um, Man, it's, it's movies, books. You got to get inspired by some of this shit. Consume media. Read, like, if you're... If you're reading Shadowrun and you look at pictures or you look at artwork and you're getting some of those ideas into your brain, um, because not everybody has had the privilege of being in a military base. But I can tell you that your military base is your military base. So make it military. Like, just because you haven't served in the armed forces doesn't mean you probably don't have any concept of what a military base looks like. I mean, half the ones in Hollywood are all effed up and seem over. They're wrong. Like, They're just flat over, wrong. Over, over hyped and yeah, yeah. kind of crazy, silly. I mean, uh, war games, everybody, not everybody, but most folks have seen war games from like 19, God, how old is that? 1983, yeah, 84. Yeah. Yeah. And you see NORAD and the big, huge ass door close and they go in and they've got the control center with all the goofy monitors. I mean, just think of some of those things, and as you draw it out, it doesn't have to be exactly from a movie, but if you start talking about how people are running around in uniform and you have guards at certain doors and surveillance cameras in the corners, if you see Mission Impossible. So I guess the short of it is you've done a little bit of research, and it's something that interests you. You could probably watch some movies, TV shows, books, comics, um, whatever it looks like, and you're going to have an understanding of kind of the little elements that you can put in to kind of flavor it up. And then those flavorings become part of the encounter because, well, how do they know that you're in front of that door? Well, it's because that camera in the corner is still staring at you and you haven't disabled it. Yeah, okay. Ah, that's why they're coming down the hallway. You need to get rid of that stupid freaking camera. I'll tell you the cool thing that this does is because, like, when you ran D&D for us and when you ran the Star Wars stuff, I knew you were pulling it off of written material. But because of that knowledge you had and the research that you'd done and just for fun and you like this shit, then it takes that that canned thing and makes it different, right? So instead of it, it sometimes people say, well, how do you, you know, make pre-published information your own? How do you make it more interesting and so on? And what you just laid out for me, I think is the <clears throat> probably the best way to do it is be interested in the subject material, right? If you like fantasy, if you watch... We've talked about this a little bit on the show. You know, you watch Lord of the Rings movie, you watch <laughs> bad fantasy movies, you read not, you read fantasy books, you 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 dig into this stuff, and just even if you just look at art, you know, as you said, you look at some of the pictures and short videos and things online, just to give you an idea of what does it feel like, what does it look like. Take those bits and pieces of what a dragon's treasure hoard looks like, and describe the glints, the gold, the the things, the bits and pieces, the military base. Describe the thing you saw from that, you know, Kelly's Heroes movie you saw way back when, or that, you know, John Wayne movie. Throw those pieces out there, and it becomes your military base, as you said, but then it's flavored with stuff that's not in the actual text, most likely. It becomes more realistic. I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you the last time I was in a dungeon, but I sure as hell can probably describe one to you. Yeah. You know, it's dank, it's dark. You're probably some water dripping somewhere. There's moisture on the walls or the floor. It smells musty. It feels it's like a basement, but worse. Crappier. <laughs> yeah. It's you like know? a basement in that rat hole you rented in college. That house? Yeah, it's like that basement, only worse yeah. with bigger the rats. Old cellar with the sandstone basement. And, you know, you're going down there and it echoes and weird screams occur down into the darkness. Ooh. Yeah, it's some of this is it's part 
just observation. Pay attention to the things and don't be afraid to use the stuff you see. But I, th- I think that that type of prep is actually more interesting to me um, as far as keeping things fresh and new and interesting. So cool. Very sweet, man. Got anything more? Yeah. No, we're at about time. and um, We got a little bit. There's... We got a little bit of die roll left here. Yeah. That was cool, but, brother. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So little more unconventional as far as like if people were thinking well here i'm going to sit down i'm going to go okay we're going to create an npc this npc is going to do this then i'm going to have a bad big bad evil person and that's where they're going to be and you know the player's going to come through this door and there's going to be a trap right in front of them you know those are encounters and those are ways that you can certainly plan how to do your encounter and that may be something brett tackles next week but my my particular approach is what does the environment look like? What is there? And frankly, what dynamically can you throw in there? So going back to the chase where I started, you know, okay, players are in a Jeep. Bad guys are in the Jeep in front of them. Things are going along. Well, guess what, Brett? You look down at your feet and you see this box bouncing around in the back of the Jeep. Boink, boink, boink. And it's like this crate looking thing. You look on the crate and it's got a you know, M two O three on it or whatever the nomenclature. And you're like, well, I open launcher. it up. <laughs> there's a freaking grenade launcher right there. Nice, an RPG. Yeah, it changes the dynamic a little bit. Yeah. I'll pull, well, well, guess what that person's going to do? They're going to pull out the RPG and aim it at the freaking jeep ahead of them and blow that sucker up. See, I tell you, man, the the cool thing about this to me is that this is inset into how you do things, right? And that's whether somebody just listened to that and said, I can't, I don't know if I. I can do that. That's fine. And the other piece I've found is the more I listen to other people, how, whatever their creative process is, um, when I first ran into Ed Greenwood at uh, GameholeCon, GameholeCon 2, he was talking about some of the creative process with encounters. And I did the totally nerdy thing afterwards. I went, oh, my God, I do things so similarly. It was neat to hear somebody say, this is how I do something, and then to be able to connect with it and say, wow, I do do stuff like that. That's pretty cool. That's okay. It's not that we're just giving you permission to do it the way you do it, although sometimes that's kind of what we do. I think it's interesting to see how other creative people do this hobby. You know, how how do we build things? What do we think about? How did we get to to a point where this is how and why we think about it that way? So some people I know are way the hell more structured than Sean, but hey, this is obviously legit. He's been running for a long time, and Sean, you do a damn good job when you run too, man. I try, Brett. Thanks. You do well. Cool. Well, um, obviously, next week will hit me. But uh, if people have questions for Sean, or you want us to, exp- or want him to expand on anything, let us know, and uh, we'll put that in. Because I'm thinking we may well have some follow-ups after this little uh, duology of topics here. So, shall we move on? Yeah. All right, die roll, not a ton this week. There was just one that I happened to come across that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Gen Con has some sustainability efforts going on. This was put in the Indie Star and popped up by my radar. But essentially, um, you know, as big a con that Gen Con Con, Con comes about, um, they're looking to like even some of their posters that they use, they want to do something with them other than just throw them away. So there's some recycling things that they're doing um, about with signage. Um, the program, I think they're redoing a little bit. Now here's my humble opinion. I think they even mentioned having a program and I'm like, just get rid of that fucking thing. So they're talking about like a 300 page program that they usually produce. Get rid um, of it. Just go digital, man. Create a goddamn app where everybody's got a freaking cell phone. You should. You should absolutely have an app. I I'm mean, gonna have the. I'm gonna have the one person that's gonna be like, I have a flip phone. Sorry, I don't. You know, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> maybe, maybe make it downloadable. Yeah. So download it on your computer and print the shit off. Print your own damn paper. But I, I think you got. I mean, hey, man, we're in the 21st century. Gen Con should be leading the way on a lot of things, and one of them would be like an online program, an app of some kind. Because then you should be able to just register your events. It puts it in a timeline, gives you reminders, tells you where to go, probably even puts it on a map so you can just walk there. Yeah, good stuff. 
Create an create an app, Gen Con. It's it's, it's what you should do. About but time, yeah. goddammit. it! Did you have anything, Brett? No, I'm done. I was uh, this was cool. Thank you. It was good. Yeah. Well, oh, gee, what are we talking about next week, Brett? Next week, Sean's gonna make fun of me while I talk about the things I do. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Making fun. I don't know. Ah, it's easy. I'm poke poke. All right. Yeah. So that's been an episode of Gaming and BS. Thanks for tuning in. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming on. This episode of Gaming NBS is brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Platian, Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs, Hobbs, Wayne Humphleet, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnson, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Michael Drescher, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric DeHoff Hoffman, Kyle Winter, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, JV, John Hammersley, The Closet Gamer, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Glayman, Sky. Roger Brasslett, Evan Harrison Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skeins, Knights of the Night Crew, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Pateri Tertianen, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Aaron Coleman, Tim Shorts, Stefan Dragonspawn, Agonese, Roll for Guild, Gord, Cranford, Eric Salzwedel, Trezzy, George Sedgwick, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, and Graham Minert. Woo! Thanks, everybody. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.